Hello and welcome to this edition of the Tez Magazine Debrief Podcast. Uh, this week, John Severs is away, so um, you've got me, Dan Worth, as host, and I'm delighted to be joined, as ever, this time by Gronya Hallahan. Hi, Gronya. Hello. And a new guest on the podcast this week, Joshua Lowe, our social media journalist. Hi, Joshua. How's it going? How are you feeling about your first podcast appearance? Oh, very nervous. Nervous? It's such such big shoes to fill, you know, John. <laughs> That's true, true. We'll make you feel very welcome. So we're going to be looking at the 16th of April edition of Tez. So let's get started. So the first feature we're going to look at is by Irina Barker, and it's a focus on looking at tutoring. And uh, obviously the sort of impetus being the National Tutoring Programme, which is sort of up and running and a major part of the, the catch-up strategy. Uh, and what I really enjoyed about this feature, I think it's a very interesting point that's raised throughout it, is this idea that with this massive focus on tutoring, which has always sort of been known generally or even through research, but on a more small scale, to be known to be a, a good way to improve educational outcomes, we're, we're doing it on a mass scale, which is obviously like one of the sort of impacts of the pandemic is these sort of interesting social experiments that may never have otherwise occurred. And so we have this chance now to really sort of watch what happens with tutoring, to see what the best outcomes are, what works well, can you do it online, does it work online in certain ways better than other ways. Um, and Irina sort of talks to various researchers who are quite, you can sort of sense they're quite excited by this opportunity, I think. And, and I think it's, again, that thing of, yes, the pandemic has been very negative, but there are silver linings from it. And if tutoring, understanding more about tutoring and how we can use it, we, we get more out of that. I think that's a good a good thing, you know, a good thing in capital letters. Um, so yeah, I don't know what you think. Have you ever, have you ever been tutored yourselves or worked with someone who's a tutor? Bronya? So yeah, I, I used to tutor. And um, when I was in the classroom, we, we used to have a, a tutoring program and we took children and tutored them separately after school. And it's um, you do build up different relationships when you've got children on that that's small in a, on a, in a small in smaller groups but it's also really funny because you go through the work so much more quickly you've got to plan double what you would normally do for a whole class and what the things that you would do that would work really well in a whole class often don't work well at all when you're just tutoring They're, it's a very different different sort of skill set and it's a different way to teach and I don't think um it's I don't think we give enough time in teacher training to teach what it's like to teach in small classes. You you learn on the job. You really do learn as you're doing it. Yeah, I've, um, I'm not a teacher, never have been, but I was tutored as a student. And um, yeah, I found it immensely uh, useful. I resented it at the time mm. because it was in my free time. Yeah. <laughs> but looking back on it, it's uh, it was definitely something that helped me out a lot. Every Wednesday helped me with my English mm. and things like that. Uh, I am mildly sceptical of the tutoring scheme, just to the scale of it. Um, I'm wondering whether or not uh, things like parachuting and graduates and things along those lines, which Irene brings up, is uh, is going to be effective. Mm. But we'll have to see, I guess. Well, that's it, isn't it? I think, I think there's always going to be some sort of healthy scepticism around, around anything, whether it's related to the pandemic or not, around education, which I think is a, a good thing. You know, we, we need to be always challenging receive wisdom whatever it is but i think it's clear that we need to try a range of measures and that's what the piece is sort of touching on and it's an interesting point there growing you about that from the teacher perspective you know how much more work you have to do as a tutor and also i'd really thought about it like that you know just, I, I myself remember being, being tutored when i when i was young um as a sort of like preparation for secondary school type thing and and like joshua you like i sort of resented it really but actually obviously clearly very beneficial but that, do you think will there be teachers here you know who are now having to do more of this themselves do you think in school and how they'll be dealing with that well, I think some schools who are using the National Tutoring Programme to tutor some of their students and then using their own teachers to teach and tutor other students to try and, you know, 
make the most mm. of this this period we've got where we're trying to address the gaps that children have come back to school presenting with um and talking to teachers some people really love tutoring and some people really don't and I think sometimes it's to do with how much you're given how much help you're given with your planning and the resources that you're going to use when it comes to how much you really enjoy it because it's such a difficult thing to do it's not an easy thing to tutor that um you've you've really got to be well prepared and lots of given lots of help and actually taking time to observe people tutor is really helpful. I had a friend who was a brilliant tutor. She worked in the class, she was a classroom teacher, but she also was one like an expert in tutoring small groups. And watching her do it, I learned so much about about how to start a task off, how to keep kids on track, how to give feedback. I think when you're one to one, it's I find it really hard anyway to give bad <laughs> bad feedback to be critical because if you're in a big class, you can sort of you know generally admonish them for getting something wrong. But when it's just the two of you or there's just three of them there, it feels re- much 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 more personal and it's much more difficult to say you've got that wrong. But watching somebody do it and do it kindly and do it sensitively it was really helpful for me to learn that sometimes you do have to be the bad guy and give bad news. I don't like being the bad guy. Yeah, Joshua, you're laughing along there. Does that, does that bring back memories of you being told off by your tutor? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, It was my old English teacher and she. Um, it was definitely a different dynamic when I couldn't hide behind a classroom of other students to hide my mistakes where she could instantly just see what I was doing. It was like, okay, this is a lot different. Yeah. But that, that's what's really interesting, isn't it, about this? Is it presumably there are going to be pupils here now who are going to get tutoring, and and, and obviously, and, and for the first time, or that one-to-one time with a teacher, and that might be really revelate, like a real revelation for them in terms of either having time to talk to a teacher to have something to actually properly explain to them for the first time or have a chance to have their questions answered that they may never be confident to raise in class. And that's what comes through in the feature, isn't it? That, that all these kind of little things about tutoring that maybe we've never had a chance to really research in massive detail we're now going to be able to do it seems like a really good opportunity for because why why couldn't not tutoring become more of an adjunct to normal teaching when schools need it and this could inform how you do that better when you do it resources is sparing in the future i'm talking here maybe but you use it really well and that could be quite a big benefit right Exactly. When I was reading this, it had actually not occurred to me that this was such a time for to, to reap all this really interesting data out of how we can do tutoring well. Because of course, there'll be times in the future when tutoring will be important. And we use tut- we we always use small group tuition, especially with um with older exam year groups and the run up to exams. And I know in primary schools they do it with their year six students and the run up to the SATs. Like if we can find out the best way to do it, then isn't that brilliant? Isn't that a, a really good opportunity? We shouldn't let slip through our fingers. Yeah, I think the uh, the data you're going to get from small group tutoring, because I think that's probably the most likely to stick around uh, just mm. for numbers and time-wise. I think that'll be the most interesting to come out of this. And do you know what I'd really like to know? So I've sometimes had issues with children when I've been teaching them in a class who've had tutors and the, the having a tutor has actually undermined their motivation to work in the lesson and they feel as if I don't need to do this because I've got my tutor I'm not going to listen my tutor will explain it to me later and and that's always been something that you know you've got to address head on like you talk to the parents you talk to the child like this is a thing that complements your classwork it doesn't replace your classwork and I'd be really interested to know because that's obviously anecdotal 
take evidence I've got from a, a few children who've done it for in my lessons. But what would what does that look like on a bigger picture? Is that something that happens a lot? Is that just something that happens with with certain children? Like how is there a way to stop that from happening? Is it the tutor they had? I don't know. I, I, I've taught lots of children who've had tuition and they've not said things like that. So it's obviously not something that automatically happens. But how do you get around it? Like I, I find that like the psychology of it interesting. Mm. Yeah, that is a good point, isn't it? Like you say, that sort of will some children then become blasé about exactly that, like school because of that. And yeah, interesting point, interesting point for sure. And I'm sure teachers will encounter that. And like you said, then maybe that will be something that comes out of this that we can look into in the future about how do you overcome that problem if it becomes more embedded or there is more data to show that actually a lot of pupils do switch off. There's a kind of a balance that then you have to get right. But but yeah, certainly, I mean, this feature shows, doesn't it, how much there is to think about in tutoring. And in a way, we're only just getting started. So I suspect it'll be a, a topic we'll return to in, in TES in the future when we talk about it again. But uh, yeah, check that feature out in, in this week's issue. Okay, so the next feature we're going to look at is Joshua's choice. So Joshua, tell us all about it. Yeah, so I chose um, the feature by Jack Poulton, uh, Disabled Students Need Positive Role Models. I think this is on the, even on the cover of this, it seems like a no-brainer, right? Um, more representation makes people with disabilities feel more included. And it means that uh, there'll be more put in place for them. Um, I think Jack actually puts it perfectly where he says in the piece, uh, rather than viewing my disability as something that makes it harder to do my job, I've learned to see it as a positive. And the reason why he says that is because of kids can relate to him, even if they, they don't suffer from the same disability that he has. Um, they can still see his struggles and relate to it and then come to him Alongside that, then staff that he works with, because he's a TA, um, they've put in place um, things for things to help him, and those help other students as well. So it's a great combo in total. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's a powerful piece, and also one that's quite sort of, but but also has some sort of nice practical insights too. And it made me think actually, when I was at school, I, I don't recall any disabled teachers or indeed students, and, and that made me feel a bit like I was genuinely quite shocked by that. And I and I actually both thought. The school layout actually was probably very unhelpful to anyone who was in a wheelchair. But I also thought, I wonder why that was. Was that just just coincidence, or was it genuinely was that sort of quite a bad thing of that era where the school wasn't as sort of because it wasn't very good layout for disabled people? They put them off at going to the school. I don't know, but it certainly made me think reading this that yeah, clearly you know if you either work with a colleague who's, who's disabled, you you have a teacher who's disabled, and I think it's important as well, isn't it? Because it shows for for both the teachers and the relationship with a colleague and and for pupils with with a member of staff, you know, it's an important thing to be aware of and to see, you know, that like, disability and engage with that, and not be something you only then encounter after school. And so, something that I probably did have in in my school time. Uh Completely. So I talked with a teacher who um, had a, a condition which meant that she needed to be sometimes in a wheelchair, sometimes not. And for the children, it was like real life myth busting about disabled people in the classroom. They were just, their minds were blown by the fact that sometimes she was in a wheelchair, sometimes she was on crutches and they couldn't get their heads around that. They just had this fixed idea of people in wheelchairs are paralysed and can't walk and that's why they're in wheelchairs. And I mean, Emma was just fantastic and she just cracked on with stuff and um, it was really really important for the children to see that and for the disabled children in the school to have somebody who who looked like them who was using a wheelchair using a chair like they they do in front of the class and teaching and being absolutely awesome at it and I think that the the difficulty was the, the initial setup so like what you were saying Dan about how the 
how the school layout isn't always that accessible for people. They had to completely change the school because they had it set up for the children to get around the school, but not for staff. So all of the different, all the back back areas, like all the staff room and the sort of the, the admin corridors and things had to be changed so that, um, Emma, so that she had access. And it's um it's interesting how 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 people's attitudes are towards like those sort of changes and it's i think we all do better to think about how we view things through our own eyes and the way that what's what's the best thing for me but we should always always be thinking of those people who have the the least mobility and like is this suitable for them too when we're building and when we're we're moving classrooms and spaces around yeah, and Jack also speaks beyond just physical disabilities. Mm. So he talks about how it's useful, him talking about what he goes through for people he teaches with ADHD or learning difficulties. I know because I'm dyslexic, I had no um, teachers or anyone like that growing up who also went through having dyslexia or learning difficulties. And I think something along those lines where having people who also struggle uh, with just day-to-day tasks can really be useful for students. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because seeing someone, you know, just just literally have the same problems, so you can talk and go, "Oh, yeah, I find that really difficult too." Is is such a sort of powerful thing, isn't it? At any age, you know, sometimes at work, the best things when you turn to someone and say, "Do you understand this?" Someone else says, "No, I don't actually." And you're like, "Oh God, it isn't just me." Because it's such a sort of thing that we develop in school, but actually, it's almost like a fundamental human thing. We don't like admitting we don't know something or can't do something. When you find someone else who actually will admit that, and you can be like together, it's quite a reassuring moment, isn't it? And yeah, I think it's, it's a it's a great piece actually. It's for so you know it's a short piece but it really makes a big impact and so and i think we'll get a lot of people talking and thinking about what it's what its message is so yeah good stuff excellent um and the next piece we're going to look at is choice by gronia so take it away gronia okay so i've picked a piece by mark leopard and he's written our leadership piece for this magazine and he's an international head teacher He's talking about how it's really important to look after your students, but to, in order to do that, you need to put yourself first. And it makes you think of all those dreadful memes of the candles being burnt at both ends. Like for a teacher, you must, you know, you're the light that that is burning and that's how you light up others. Like, no, 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 not at all. Being a good teacher does not mean that you've got to run yourself into the ground and completely burn out. And he, he goes through, there's five different tips of things that he suggests that that work for him. And he says that we need to, to practice in order to to have that self. We talk about self-care a lot, don't we? But that like gen, the tips are so useful and real practical things that you can do in order to practice self-care. And it's a great piece. And I think it's a great piece, not just for leaders in his position who are head teachers, but also middle leaders, senior leaders, and anyone aspiring to that. If you think that leadership means... Um, putting others before yourself to the point where you won't be able to to do your job anymore to or to have a life outside of work anymore, then this is the piece for you because I think it brings real balance to the argument. And what I liked the most about it was that he admitted at the end that he doesn't even do all of these things all the time, that it's something you can try and do, but you can't beat yourself up about it if you don't don't manage it. And it should just be something that we're constantly working at as as people who are professionals. You're right as well, because what's so good about this is you're right about things like self-care and those things talked about. But what this piece really does is it breaks down the reality of how you can actually do that with some really practical ideas like turning off your email at a certain time of day or, you know, get, not getting into work at 7am actually. Or, you know, and, and if you are going to watch TV, then just watch TV and don't have your phone on your by, by your side and checking your emails all the time. Just, just give yourself permission to do that. And he's really honest about how he didn't 
to these things in the past. And he thought that made him a good leader. And then he realised that he was just sort of running himself into the ground. And yes, things were still going well, but it, was that really good for him? And therefore, was it good for the school, for the students? And so I think this, yeah, I remember seeing this, the original copy of this, and it really struck me about how powerful it was because it was honest and said, I didn't do these things and it, and it cost me. And now I'm telling you, you can still run a school very well. And he, you know, he said he runs an international school, you know, very demanding, um, you know, very engaged parents and, you know, very high expectations for the students and lots of, you know, dealing with government regulations that may be different and all that kind of stuff. But clearly you can have a balance and that's really important. And it's something that I think is important in any profession. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a very good piece. I think a lot of leaders should read this and hopefully could take a little sort of thought of, yeah, I do. When, particularly when the time is right, maybe during the pandemic, it's particularly hard maybe to do that. But now is the time to think, how can I give myself a bit more time in the future, even if it's half an hour on a Sunday kind of thing? Mm. I, I thought the fact that he says start with small changes, mm. small changes it's so much less overwhelming and you can just begin with those tiny things and I thought it's interesting you picked up the, the alarm clock because that's exactly what I thought when I saw when I read the piece like yes don't use your alarm on your phone use an actual alarm clock I am dreadful for using my phone like late into the night and then early in the morning of course I've got to have it by my bed it's got the alarm on it but you know I should I should just get a proper old-fashioned alarm clock you should, because then uh, you wouldn't message me at 6am in the morning on Slack. <laughs> <laughs> but I have unusual working hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is a really important message in this piece, is that um, it's, and I think it's becoming more of a norm of thinking about as well, where it's like you can't burn yourself out, especially during the pandemic, where it's you can't be continuously working because it's so easy to do at the moment. But um, yeah, I, again, I think that I have written down as well the alarm clock and small changes. So I think we all came away with the same feeling about this piece. I'm sorry about the early morning alarm message. Clock. I think I mentioned them watching TV. I used the alarm. Did I? I think I said about give yourself permission. I can't quite remember. My brain's all over the place this morning, but <laughs> um, I don't remember saying that out loud. But yeah, the small changes thing though, Joshua, I think Gronny, you did say that as well, is um, I think that's a really important thing actually. It's something that I've sort of learned in my own life generally about doing stuff. And again, I've, regular listeners will have heard me say this before, so forgive me if it sounds self-indulgent, but I've been learning to play the piano for the last three years. And one thing I've realized about that is like, if you, if you just do something over and over again, you get better at it. But also you have to do a small bit over and over again. You can't play a whole piece over and over again. You have to play a bar over and over again. And once you've got that bar, you can move on to the next one. And it feels quite boring almost, but then suddenly you've got four bars you can do together and suddenly you've got a bit of that piece that everyone knows and goes, oh, that's quite good. How do you learn to do that? And those, they're just small changes. It's literally, I'm just going to learn to do this, this, and this. And so like I say, if you, if you just finish half an hour earlier, if you just turn your emails off for the long weekend, if you just give yourself permission to get up 10 minutes later, mm. simple, small changes that, that cumulatively add up. And so a year later, you look back and think, oh, wow, I've completely changed my working life. But you didn't do it on one day. Like, right, that's it. I'm going to stop early. I'm going to... Which is unrealistic. Because when you do that, you don't keep it up, do you? When you do those big, like, I'm going to change my life on Monday. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a very, and I think like New Year's resolutions come into that, don't they? They're too blockbuster. They're too like, everything's going to change from the 1st of January. And it's like, well, you can change at any point. Just start mm, slowly, mm. you know. Isn't there a thing that says that you're less likely to keep your resolutions if you start them on the 1st of January? Right. I can well imagine. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it, if it doesn't exist, we should get out there. <laughs> yeah, we'll propagate it. it it's true now. <laughs> But, but I also thought that as a school leader, the only doing like in-house meetings or like uh, teacher meetings during school hours mm. is probably appreciated by the whole staff, mm. not just within his own day-to-day uh, yes. -day life. 
So small changes affect everybody, you know. Well, that's a good point, isn't it? Because also that shows that it gives staff permission not to work too long, not to get be getting emails or Slack messages at six a.m. You know, I mean, Joshua, I hope you're not responding the to the Slack, Slack messages. Message. <laughs> I, I woke up at eight. It's fine. I didn't see it, but uh, I'm <laughs> very sorry. I'm very Don't sorry. Don't be sorry. It's fine. That's good. I just thought I'd, I just thought I'd call you out on it because it's funny. Excellent. Well, the, clearly the, the feature's got a lot to recommend it. Um, so I definitely want to check out. Um, that's Mark Leopard in the leadership section of the magazine. Now, for the final section of the podcast today, we're going to talk about Duke, the Duke of Edinburgh, or more accurately, the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, which obviously was a massive part of his legacy. And I think whatever your feelings on on him or, or the royal family, I think it's it's impossible to sort of overlook the huge legacy of the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, um, known to schools across the world, actually, international award, and something that most people probably did or are aware of being taking place in their school or aware of on social media, everyone talking about it. Now, we're joined by now by another special guest, Amy Gibbons, reporter at Tess, who, very excitingly, you achieved the gold award. I did, I did, yeah. Back when I was at school, I did bronze, silver and gold. It was great fun. I really enjoyed it. That's amazing. So I think we should be honest here that I um, sort of started the bronze award, but didn't complete it, but, you know, have reasons. Um, Gronya, did you do a DV? <laughs> no, I went along to the meeting, but I didn't go into the meeting. I just sat around the just- back. Yeah, and and Joshua, I uh, tore both my calf muscle, muscles before the DOV uh, bronze hike, so I never completed it. But I did enjoy the trial hike. So we've all got contrasting memories here. So Amy, I think we should start with you though, doing all three of them and the gold one. I mean, that was, was you know, tell us all about what was that like. Yeah, I really liked it actually. I think one of the good things about the DOV was it gave you the chance to try stuff. Um, that you wouldn't otherwise do. So when I was doing bronze, I think you had to do three months of like something skills-based, something physical-based um, and uh, volunteering. And I went and worked in a nursery for a bit, which was fun. Um, I did some ice skating and I can still ice skate a little bit, which is fun. Um, and what else did I do? I was, um, so I was learning piano anyway at the time, which is a bit of a cheat, but I did that for the, for the skills. Um, but I think the most challenging bit was probably the expeditions, which is mm. what everyone looked forward to most. And I'm still, amazingly, after all that, not a camping fan, never <laughs> have been. But I did really like kind of the navigation side of it. And also, um, I got to go like to loads of beautiful places all over the UK. I think we did South Downs, did the Brecon Beacons. Uh, I think we did the Peak District. Like, and, and Where did you go to your gold one? Oh, God, I wish I could remember. I think it was the South Downs for gold, but I do get them mixed up because it was, it was a while ago now. But mm. um one of the things I think we got away with is you're supposed to do um, wild camping for at least one night on gold, which was the bit out of everything that I dreaded the most and that made me question why I decided to do it. We were lucky because when we went out, we had terrible, terrible weather and they actually had to cancel the wild camping night. So if you're going to be judging me on my gold, I never actually had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think we're definitely still very much, uh, you, you got your gold award for definite. How far did you have to walk for the gold award? How, how, what was the distance? So I can't remember the exact distance, but I'm pretty sure it was four days of walking and three nights of camping. Mm. Um, and we would be walking um, all day. So I think there, I hope I'm not uh, misremembering this, but I think, you know, it was up to sort of 30 kilometres in a day that you might You're carrying your tent and stuff, aren't you? Carrying your tents, yeah, carrying your stove, um, all of your bits and pieces. We, um, you had to carry all the kind of the food that you would take. So you had to weigh up kind of how heavy stuff was going to be. Um, 
And uh, and yeah, doing all of that while trying to navigate. I remember one of the best feelings was um, when you did decide to take a break. She would sort of like very slowly like lie down and then just release the backpack. Yeah, <laughs> it <was an> amazing <laughs> feeling. <laughs> yeah, spot on. That is so true, is it? Yeah. Or when you could, or when you could sort of perch it on a wall, like a hand, and just take the wall would take the weight, and you just like, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Never forget. Yeah. Do you? Oh, I feel like uh, I've missed out not doing it. It sounds. Well, the fun. thing is, is I. Yeah, sorry, Gwen, I interrupted you there. Sorry, you were saying. Sorry, no, I'm just saying. It sounds, although you were saying it was really difficult, it does sound like you really did enjoy it. Yeah, I I really liked that bit. It was great with, um, I was with pretty much the same group for all the way through. And I think that's partly why I ended up doing gold because everyone else said after silver, yeah, let's go on and do gold. I was like, oh, all right, then I guess we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and so you kind of, your team really um, carried you through it. And it was really, it was really nice. It was like a good bonding experience and we all ended up really good friends. Um, Mm. uh, So yeah, we, I'm, yeah, I definitely really enjoyed it. I also got to do at gold, you do this um, residential, Thing as well so you do again skills physical and volunteering um and then you do you have to kind of go and stay away from home doing something for I think it was about a week and I went and did a cookery course in London and it was great um and that was like a trial run for university because I had to go and stay like um I stayed like lodged in someone's house um, and everyone was roughly my age and we just had a great time I think it's really really useful for people who kind of might be feeling a bit useful about that so you know, going away to uni to have that mm. practice run. That does sound good. Did you, obviously you think about all this stuff, because I've sort of used my, the, the leader in the magazine, I've, I've talked about this way it teaches you other things, you know, about yourself, even if you don't know it at the time. Do you sort of think, look back and think, actually that was really helpful to me to to, to grow up a bit, to learn, you know, to, to give me something else other than just the academic pressures I was under, whatever that might be? Mm-hmm, 100%, definitely. I struggled a little bit at school around kind of GCSE time with um, the academic pressures. I found it all really, really overwhelming. DV was just something completely different. It, I mean, they, you know, they did say, oh, it's good to have on your CV. So that's part of the, you know, the motivation for mm. it. But actually, when you come to do it, it was, it was a completely different kind of challenge. And I think it was really good for kind of building your confidence um and 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 things like you know for volunteering later on I worked in um, an Oxfam bookshop for a while and it gets you kind of like a little bit of retail you know if you're then going to go on to do a part-time job so it, it gives you those sorts of skills that maybe that doesn't feel like there's as much space for while you're in the classroom um so yeah I think I think I would definitely recommend that people do it it is challenging though so um it's uh, it's worth bearing that in mind if you are going to be doing the gold um yeah it, it definitely does push you <laughs> but it sounds like yours was quite a success I've, I've asked on Twitter for people's stories about their DV ex- expeditions I've had some lovely stories we've also had some pretty good disaster stories should we rate the disasters yeah let's hear about them yeah go on okay so here's one it's been shared anonymously. They had a DOV expedition to Wales. And when it came to the time to camp, one of the girls decided that rather than, you know, camping in a tent, she would camp in the caravan that her mother had brought along to the next field. <laughs> she went over, slept in the caravan for the night and um, had a shower, had dinner, slept in the nice warm caravan. And then the next morning she wanted to come back and rejoin the group, which obviously they didn't let her. And so she... <laughs> She got kicked off. Amazing. That is is bad. Jumping in, my my brother did bronze um, and he hated camping so much that bronze was just one night that you had to stay over in a tent. He actually just, he'll hate me for saying this, he actually just went in the tent. He didn't get changed or anything. He just slept 
fully clothed, like on a sleeping bag, and then got up the next day and went away. Like, I just hated camping so much. So, um, yeah, I remember that as well. Anyway, carry on, Gronya. Oh, no, no, that's, that's a, that just shows how for some people, they must like the idea of it, but the reality... Not so much. Um, I had another teacher who said that she herself did the DOV and she um, she got she failed on for two reasons. The first one, something to do with tying a bag to the guy rope to the tent. I didn't get why that was so bad, but they they were camping like with a stove and they didn't put the thing underneath, like the what's the word called, like a oh, yeah, trivety like the, thing, to raise, yeah. gr- raise it off the ground. Yeah, yeah, and just put it straight onto the ground. So they failed. <laughs> Yeah, and also it's a risk of like setting, like doing a forest fire. That's not good. Bad, 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 bad camping skills there. Um, another, another group. They went to the Hebrides, and they were they put to set up the camp for the night. And one group was on one side of the stream, and the other group was on the other on the other side of the stream. But when they woke up in the morning, it was a four meter wide like torrent of a river that they were on the opposite <laughs> sides of and they had to just chuck as much as they could over and then wade through the river the next morning oh, crikey, that, that sounds that sounds mad actually it's funny you telling me this it reminds me of a story that there was there was like maybe it was apocryphal but it was told at our school that the teachers had gone the bronze group they were doing a practice walk and they they set up camp and the teachers had gone to see them and like yeah everything was good great you know see you tomorrow have a good night's sleep you know enjoy cooking your food teachers had left they'd left sort of five minutes and then they realized they'd left something at the campsite so they went back to where the, the, the pupils were and they discovered one of the pupils' parents arriving with a load of McDonald's takeaways <laughs> as their food. <laughs> and so they were failed. And um, whether that story is true or not, I don't know, but it was told to us as a sort of, you know, don't, Ooh, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't okay, cheat, yeah, basically. This one, this one I think is brilliant. So they went on one and the one of the boys, who was 14, got stung by a singing nettle. And he'd never been stung before. And he wanted them to call an ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Having to stop one silver level student, why it wasn't sensible to carry three one litre cartons of custard in his bag. (laughs) That was just for himself. He didn't want to share it. I mean, if you're making that mistake, you've got to you've got to own it. Yeah, like, just send them on their way. Oh, one teacher who's she's Miss, Miss Taylor. She sounds like she sounds like a DOV like expert. Um, she was supervising a gold group in the French Alps, and they rang up the group leaders. They were worried because they hadn't seen this teacher for three hours. She'd already gone up the mountain, had got up there, and was eating chips and drinking hot chocolate. She'd she'd beaten them all. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's good for her. Some good, some good, some good stories there for definite. And it's 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 so interesting. The expedition bit is the bit I think that excites people. And, and Amy, you sort of said that. And like for me, that was why I signed up to DV and I did the expedition and completed that element of it and completed that. Like you, I did. I played football, so that was like the sport. It was a bit of a cheat, but I, I didn't do the other bits. But the expedition bit was the bit that kind of excited me. And I went on to do the ten tours challenge because I wanted to carry that. I really enjoyed the camping and the walking and like so the orienteering element. And that that was sort of the thing that I really took from it. Which I think is so, what is so nice about DV is it does have those four arenas that you can find an avenue for. And it's interesting you talked about your volunteering and your, you know, all that kind of element, which is also very important. So it's, it's such a nice scheme like that. And obviously the question that I think 
I really want to ask those. Did you meet Prince Philip to receive your award? Is that what happens there? No. And do you know what's really embarrassing? I couldn't remember the other day who I did meet. It wasn't Philip. It was, I think it was Edward mm. um, in the end. It was years ago now. It was a really nice ceremony though. Um, and yeah, and th- there were more of us there than I thought there, were, there was going to be. You know, it was quite a packed out hall. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a special day. And they do make it quite special. You know, you get quite dressed up and then you mm. get your badge and um, and it does really feel like uh, an achievement. But sadly, no Philip for me. I didn't meet him. Oh, well. Gold award is, is reward enough. I yeah. Think. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well, congratulations. I think it does sound brilliant. I think there is still that everyone, everyone who went to school, who know, when you hear someone who did gold, you didn't do it, like the three of us, you do have that kind of aura of like, wow, wow. well done. You know, because you think, how did you fit that all in amongst your schoolwork? You know, bronze was too much for us a lot. And you went on <laughs> bronze, silver and gold. So very well done. Um, Thank no, great, you. No, great. You know what I found out the other day? My, um, my boyfriend actually applied to do bronze DV and was rejected. <laughs> that is the first time I've ever heard of anyone being rejected. Yeah. Get rejected. Does he know why? So I, I, he thinks, I don't know what he thinks. I think it must have been a mistake. Like they put the paperwork yeah. in and they just like never got back to him. But yeah. to this day, he's the only person I've ever heard yeah. of who was like, nah, you can't do it. Not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't trust you in the wild. Yeah. A better navigator than me. So um, they're lost, but there you go. That's brilliant. Excellent. Well, we had some great memories there, and thanks to everyone on Twitter who shared theirs as well. And do share more if you've got them. They're, they're just a, they're just fun to hear about. Um, Amy, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing all your uh, Duke of Edinburgh stories. Joshua, thanks for being stepping in to replace John this week. Very well done. Definitely have you back as and when we need. And um, everyone else, hope you enjoyed listening. And do check out the 16th of April issue of Tes for all the features we talked about. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez magazine online and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.